Welcome to HGR Preacher's Corner. This will be our first episode, and I hope you enjoy it. I was raised in the home of a preacher man. Heard mama praying time and again. You're listening to HGR Preacher Corner. I'm interviewing today Reverend Larry Booker from Inland Lighthouse. And the first question is, what seems to be the single greatest joy in being a pastor? The single greatest joy in being a pastor is, first of all, seeing people come to God, find a place of sincere repentance, receive the Holy Ghost, be baptized in Jesus' name, and then a joy even greater than that is to watch them begin to take hold of the truths of the Word of God and watch the transformation take place for them to become the child of God that God meant for them to be. It is so rare that that happens, um, what we would call overnight, or sometimes even real quickly, but the process is beautiful to behold. And question two, what seems to be the single greatest trial or sorrow in being a pastor? It has to do with question number one or answer number one. That is whenever anybody walks away from God, that is the single greatest sorrow that a pastor can experience. It's um, it's a form of death um, in their life with God being... um, snuffed out. The good point is that, you know, God doesn't give up and continues to deal with them, but that is the single biggest trial of a pastor. And Reverend Booker, what do you feel are the three to five main ingredients for successful pastoring? First and foremost has to be prayer. Uh, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Obviously, when we're born again, we have him, but our life has to be cultivated for his life to come in and for it to grow. The number one way that is accomplished is through prayer. Secondly, and just as important, is study, continual study of the Word of God, reading it for pleasure, not just to find sermons, enjoying it, relishing it. Um, hitting upon something in the Word of God that you you start diving into the pool of study that is these are absolute necessities. The third thing is um, pulpit skills, if at all possible, need to be developed, which automatically tends to take place. Paul's or the writer of Hebrews spoke by reason of use. We have our senses exercised. The more one does anything, the easier it becomes. And so learning what works and doesn't work in in preaching, in reaching to people, those are huge. Um, number four is people skills. You have to love people. You have to care about people. You have to care about them personally, how they are doing not be concerned what can, they can do for you, but but what can be done for them, especially spiritually. That's first and foremost your obligation. Anything else beyond that is secondary. But those are the top things. One more thing is 
you, no man can build a church by himself. Nobody. Therefore, he must surround himself with good, capable, hungry people within the church as their skills develop and utilize them in every way possible so that you don't just have a fishing pole trying to fish men, but you really do develop a net. And how important is it for a pastor to be full-time in the ministry? It's it's important for a pastor to be full-time, but only if that time is utilized for the kingdom. Uh, I will never forget Paul Price telling me and telling when I was involved in home missions work, uh, helping home missionaries. I remember him telling them oftentimes, don't be in a hurry to be full-time because while you are working, you are meeting people. And he said that personally, when he was started the church at Napa and he had a, a basically a uh, type of a construction business, that he personally won more people while he was in that occupation than when he became a full-time pastor. When he became full-time pastor, he could devote his energies to much-needed areas. But if you are someone trying to start a church, have a small church, yes, work towards being full-time so that more of your time can be devoted to God, to people, to the laws, to the church. But it isn't necessarily the end-all, catch-all. Um, I've seen individuals go full-time and their churches actually um, suffer for a while until they caught their maybe their equilibrium of what they were supposed to do with their time. Okay, and how do you generally spend a given uh, weekday? Well, when I'm home, which is I, I take what that means... Um, on a given day, if I'm home for several days, uh, when I awake, I try to make it a practice unless I have no choice to first thing I do get myself comfortable. I become ensconced in my chair. I will have a cup of coffee by me and then I open my Bible and I read my Bible uh, at least five chapters a day and uh, from various places throughout the Word of God, and that's how I start my day. Then I have my to-do lists where uh, as much of that as I can do while there, phone calls, notes, answering emails, texts, uh, setting up appointments. Personally, I try to keep that first portion of the day up until about noon, two, and four, myself in those kinds of situations. Any appointments to be made, people to see, errands to be run, bases to be touched, I try to do that from 12 o'clock on, and usually by late afternoon, the day takes care of itself from that point. And how important is it to study for a pastor preacher? I will never forget something I heard Paul Price state years ago. And he said, what a man is full of is what comes out of him. If he is full of scripture, that is what's going to come out of him. If he's full of himself, that is what's going to come out of him. So 
study is all important myself personally. I'm a, I'm also a believer in in uh, studying history because history, the analogies that can be drawn from history are just mind-boggling in light um, that the scripture sheds upon them. Um, and then in study, and I don't know if I specifically mentioned this in a previous question, while I am studying, oftentimes I stop reading, place my Bible on my chest, and I pray. I pray about that verse, I pray for some thought, I pray for a person. And then, because a, a mind illuminated by the Spirit of God, coupled with the Word of God, is much more positive and, and able to absorb the things of God. And whether I made mention of it or not, I do on any given day make my way to the church at least once and spend some real time in prayer. I'm certainly not bragging, and I'm not saying that I pray enough. Um, I don't know anybody that feels like they actually pray enough. I know nobody I've ever met that thought they prayed too much. But prayer is just as much a part of study as anything else. And Martin Luther, of course, Martin Luther's Martin Luther, but... He did make the statement, he that has prayed well has studied well. And how important in counseling, and what are your thoughts about counseling? Counseling, uh, times of counseling are absolutely essential. People come to passes in the roads of life. Situations arise from any quarter, from work to family to health to past issues church problems so any pastor that thinks he's going to skate through life without having to counsel um, is sadly mistaken however at the same time uh, counseling is not a preacher's forte I don't believe he should make that his forte because if he does that is all he will be doing a minister is at his best in the pulpit. And I, I tell folks that if they will keep their eyes and ears and heart and spirit and mind open, many answers that they need will absolutely be found from the pulpit. That's where I'm at my best. But again, counseling is important. However, and everything in life's a trade-off. Uh, one of the problems that I have found in counseling, and I do try to cultivate people around me within our church that are very capable that can do whatever counseling is needed there is a lady in our church that has a master's degree in counseling has a practice as a master's in theology she has a practice of christian counseling teaches at apostolic school of theology has written books uh, I'm hesitant to give her name because she's got all the business she can handle, thank you, and doesn't need any more phone calls of uh, business. But her name is Beth Baus, and she works very, very hard. Well, her and others have helped tremendously with counseling. And the reason I like it that way is because if someone is burying their heart, perhaps of past pains, experiences, disappointments, heartaches, um, that gets to be pretty painful. Well, then a week later, two weeks later, a month later, if they've poured their heart out, say to me, 
and I'm up preaching, I may not have that situation any more on my mind than the backside of the moon. But I'm just preaching away. But there they are, highly sensitized to what's coming out of my mouth because they've borne their heart. And they can feel like perhaps um, I'm... I'm telling their life story and I'm not even thinking about that and then when you add to that that perhaps sometime in the past uh, they've borne their heart perhaps to a minister and then it was spoken of either publicly or word got out that's a painful painful excruciatingly painful for somebody to go through so counseling is a double-edged sword and you do what you have to uh when I do counsel someone, we're getting into deep waters. I always make it a point to tell them, now listen, brace yourself. A month from now, two months from now, six months from now, I can be preaching something and you're going to think that 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 I'm airing your laundry. I'm not. So um, counseling's tricky business. It's necessary. But you need to know what you're about, what they're about, and, and how people's hearts and minds can work sometimes. What do you think are the three to five most important things you do? Pretty much reiteration, the the three to five most important things that I do is pray, is study, Um, try to prepare for the services because services have got to be as powerful as possible. And if God's not there, you can forget it. And then the next two most important things are, and this is not good order, but you're asking me as a minister. But if a minister forgets his family, then it's all in vain. If you lose your family in the process of trying to save the world, um, that, that gets that gets pretty tough. And there have been wonderful men, far better men than I, that did everything just right. Perhaps things didn't go well for certain members of their family. So that's this is not an indictment on anybody. But, but family, you have to touch base, uh, let them know you care about them. My wife, I have 10 grandkids, one more on the way. My wife is a far better grandmother than I am a grandfather. But for whatever reason, those little tykes still love me. And then uh, the most other important thing I do is touch base with people, people in the church, people in the ministry. Uh, just try to be as much as possible there for them. I think those are the five main things of a minister's life. How important are meetings and conferences for ministers? I believe they can be very, very important. When I look back over my life, I know of conferences that I made on a, on a yearly basis that through the process of time and certain services had very powerful transforming moments in my life. Um, I will tell you a statement that my three sons have made to me more than once. And they are all in their their mid to late 30s now or upper late 30s. That when they were young and all through their life, that my ministry was the first and foremost spiritual impact uh, on their life as far as church-wise. And the second was the PSR convention that uh, myself and other wonderful brethren had for so many years. It was highly impact. Other conferences that I've gone to around the country through the years uh, have, have affected my life profoundly in the lives of many others. However, not everybody's able to go to all the conferences they would like to, and, and therefore, based on a pastor's given situation, be it financial, time-wise, any host of things, I think 
if they're going to go to a conference, they need to pick it carefully. They need to pick conferences where they feel like they will get the most for the effort made to get there, where they and their they some excuse me they themselves personally and their ministry and their family and their church can overall be benefited the most. However, you cannot spend your days going just from conference to conference to conference, uh, which is another trap that I know that sometimes people can fall into. And how does one know if they are called into the ministry? That's a very good question, and the only answer I can give is is, is my calling. Or And that I, I will never forget the service. I will just say this. I went into service as low as could possibly be. Proverbially, if I'd have had a top hat on and I was walking under the car, but I couldn't have made a ripple. I was feeling that low, that small. But while my pastor was preaching, I opened my Bible, and this was just me. I felt like I was falling literally into the Bible on my lap as if I was high diving into deep, deep, warm waters. I fell in love with the scripture, and I knew that moment, that's how I would spend my life. Bottom line, however God calls a man, deals with him, this is my rule of thumb. And I've used this many, many times. I've told many men, many young men, uh, both in our church and out and about, and they've asked me questions like this. You pretty well know that you are called to preach if two things. One, when you look in your mind down the road of life, if you can picture yourself doing anything else other than preaching, being a minister, good chance you're not called. Secondly is when you come to the place you feel like if I don't preach, I'm going to hell, then you're probably called to preach. Um, If it's not to that degree, but nevertheless, you still feel certain calling, uh, it could well, very well be that you are called to minister in a local church, to be a help, to do fill-in, to teach Bible studies, to teach other young men, etc. And those and people like that are crucial to the kingdom. It's it's it doesn't mean they're a lesser child of God or saint of God. It's part and parcel of whatever portion of the body God puts us into. So all of it's important, but when it comes to being a minister, this is your call, life, what you're supposed to do, basically, period. Those two criteria is my feeling. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break, and we are in HGR Preacher's Corner talking to Reverend Larry Booker. We'll be back shortly. Salvation, HGR, Holy Ghost Radio, proclaiming the true, unadulterated gospel message for over 10 years. www.holyghostradio.com We are Acts 238, Salvation Message Compliant. Are you? There's something wrong with a spirit that can get in somebody and make them talk in tongues and then still say Jesus' name is of the devil. Holiness is wrong. It's Phariseeism. There's something wrong with a spirit that denies that Jesus is the almighty God. For the Bible says there's no spirit. There's no spirit that can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost does not say that Jesus Christ is the 
the second person in the Trinity. But they're being blessed. Brother Duke, you're having miracles. Brother Duke, you're having this. They must have part truth. I'm willing to present to you that part truth is no truth. If I tell you a half lie, it's all lie. If I tell you a story that's half truth, I still lied to you. We need to get something in our soul that there's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one gospel. There is no other. There's one God. There's one truth. There's one message. And God help us all to see the sin that cometh in the name of the Lord. And we are back with Reverend Larry Booker on HDR Preacher's Corner. Brother Booker, as far as how does one prepare for the ministry? Good question. Um, I will never forget something Von Morton said years ago, and I think it's crucial. The present duties are the will of God. So the first and foremost thing, if you want to prepare for the ministry, is whatever you are supposed to be doing today in your local church with, for your pastor, etc. Take that. That is the will of God today. If you'll always take care of today's will of God, that will naturally grow into God taking care of your tomorrows. Um, Having said that, of course, study. We're back to study again. Studying the Word of God, showing yourself a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, is how Paul advised his son Timothy in the Gospel. And you must study. You must give yourself to reading the Word of the Lord. And I will never forget many, many years ago, it was over 40 years ago, my pastor had a, a Bible teacher come by by the name of Henry Ivey. Virtually unheard of today, but many of the old-timers of Pentecost remember him. He was a walking Bible. Uh, he forgot more about the Bible than I'll ever know. He took me into his trailer, pastor, gave him permission to take me under his wing. And at the back of his little trailer, he had a little recliner. He had a piece of plywood that had a circle cut around where he could fit it around his stomach. He would prop it up. He had little wood stobs where he would pull out his Bible. He would read a verse. If he didn't understand a word or a meaning of a verse, then he would pull out bookshelves on each side of him. He'd pull out a commentary or commentaries. He'd pull out Haley's Bible handbook. He'd pull out Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And he would do back in those days what I guess a person would call surfing today. And uh, now you can have a good Bible study program on your computer and do all of that. But that's what I did. I got me a piece of plywood, I'd prop it up with pillows, I would sit on my couch. He did it from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. every night for around 50 years. The man knew the Word of God. It was mind-boggling. He inspired me so much. I was young. The first four years, four and a half, almost five years I was in church, I never read anything but either the Bible or It had something to do with the Bible. Now, I might look at a newspaper, but I read no books, no history, no nothing. It was pure Bible, Bible study. And so to this day, over 40 years later, I'm still gleaning from those days. So study and prayer is the number one 
thing we go back to to prepare to be in going to the ministry. How does one get started as a minister? Rule of thumb, first and foremost, working with and under the tutelage of his pastor. For some, it happens quicker than others. There's no there's no proven path for any man. There's a scripture in Psalms, I think it's 25, but it says, Who is a man that feareth the Lord? Him shall God teach in the way that he shall choose. Well, God teaches us in the way he chooses, and God uses us in the way that he chooses. There's another scripture that says, Wait patient upon the Lord. So uh, it's here a little, there a little, maybe speaking in a youth service here, a uh, youth service there, uh, 15 minutes before the pastor gets up to speak. Who knows how it all works out individually, but the call on a man will make the way. Proverbs tells us that uh, the gift of a man. Now this is this book or paraphrase. The gift that a man has will make a way for him. And you just have to trust that God that put it in you will also direct you. And he will. He knows how to do it. And trust in the Lord with all your heart and he shall direct your paths. You prepare and he will use you. How does one know if they are to be a pastor, evangelist, teacher, or help in a local church? Time and experience uh, will make these kinds of things very clear in my mind. Although, with the call, I think there can be um, a certain beat of the heart that just inclines itself, that you tend to know where you're going. I knew when I was called that ultimately, that's what I was called to, was to be a pastor. I have evangelized twice. Uh, One was a little over a year, another was three years. And God was kind to us, he blessed us, but at the same time I always knew in my heart that I was a pastor. Um, The man that I just mentioned, uh, Brother Henry Ivey, he pastored churches, but honestly he was a teacher in the truest absolute sense of the word to the point and I know this is hard to even fathom even though he pastored for several years and and, and, and traveled the country for many 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 years and was in his day sought after well known used he was such a fabulous teacher he told me he had never one time given an altar call. I can't even hardly wrap my mind around that because I rarely, I would venture to say 99 times out of 100 that I preach or teach, I give an altar call. But he didn't. And he said, I really don't know that I know how to give an altar call. But what he was, was absolutely a teacher. Well, he was comfortable in his own skin. He knew what he was supposed to be. And so I think with the call, there's inclinations that come with it. Um, and then again, through the process of time, God tends to make it make it clear. What kind of friendships should a minister develop? Well, whether it's a minister, any child of God, um, I think the term friend, if you're going to give it the truest scriptural biblical definition of what we're supposed to be, is a true friend is someone who brings the best out in you. If somebody brings out your bad side and everybody's got feet of iron and clay 
if somebody's bringing out your weaknesses, if somebody's bringing out your bad side, if you got a little quick temper and somebody has the ability to draw that out of you, etc., 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 or or makes turns you into a gossip, ex, on and on and on. You need to you need to cultivate friendships that bring the best out in you. This is, of course, especially true for the ministry. Um, I try to be kind. I try to be friendly with everybody. But David made the statement, or the writer of Psalms 119, I hope it was David, I think it was David, made the statement, I am a companion of them that walk uprightly and such as fear thy commandments. Well, it's one thing to be friends with a person, but if you're going to be a companion, running buddy, thick, it needs to be someone that walks uprightly and someone that fears God and His Word and stands in awe and loves Him. Make friendships with people like that and it will pay dividends. Solomon said, a companion of fools. Well, my interpolation, guess what? He's going to be a fool. A companion of wise men is going to be a wise man. How important are elders in a minister's life? I think elders are very important in a minister's life. The role that they play in a minister's life is very, very important. Now, I'm getting a little up in years now, and I remember when I thought 40 years old was old. 50 was the ancient of days, and 60 was over the pale. Now I'm 61. So time moves on, and here we are. Some people consider me their elder, but one of the responsibilities of an elder, I do not believe it's not my responsibility to find the will of God for people. That's going to be between that person and God. But to advise, to help, to give insights on experiences that I've had. I know that as a young man, and to this day, there are people that loom so large in my life. And they bring so much to my life. And I learn from them. We can learn from everybody. We can learn, if nothing else, how not to do some things. But if someone has been there, done that, and he's been there for many, many years and done that many, 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 many times, I would be a fool not to at least try to tap in to the wisdom that he has garnered from those experiences, from the scripture, from walking with God, from knowing God. And so... Um, One of the crimes of America is that everything is so geared to the youth that, that, that elders among us, I'm not even talking about church elders, just life elders, they're not interested in what they have to say. They're not interested in their input, their insights, their experiences. And, and so we're, we're seeing, we're reaping some of the folly of all of this. Well, in the church, thank God for elders in the church, people that have lived for God for many years. They can help nurture young people coming up. And the same is, of, is of course, true for uh, elders in a minister's life. As a saint in a church... What are the greatest things I can do to bless the church and pastor? Well, I know this going to thing I uh, 
feel like I've only got a two-string banjo here. But I think when we step over into eternity and we look back from that purview and we realize what we really had access to and how little we actually utilized it, if there are regrets going into heaven, it would be that I didn't pray more. I personally think the single greatest thing is certainly not the only thing but the single greatest thing that a child of God can do is pray pray for the minister pray for their church pray for their city pray for their area their region uh, pray for their fellow saints pray for of course their family friends lost loved ones but that is the greatest thing then of course to support the church with attendance, faithful attendance to the house of God. Don't fall into that number that people are more surprised to see you there than not see you there. I personally feel like that as a parent, if a child ever asks a parent, outside of traumatic situation or something happening at that time, but if on any given normal occasion when a church service comes up, be it Sunday morning or night or midweek or whatever, and the child says, are we going to church tonight? If a child has to ask that, I think there's a major problem in that home. That should never even be case for discussion. They should automatically know it is just our practice to be there. That's huge, just to be faithful to the house of God. Then, of course, to support the work of God with tithes and offering. When you consider what Jesus Christ has done for us to 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 withhold what is God's and then not to offer in offerings what we want to give to God. And we're not talking if someone is 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 running on a hub and financially it's tight, automatically you can be a widow with two mites and outgive anybody that's in the giving line on that given day. So God looks at everything. And um, so those things are huge. Uh, be good to their family. If, if It means so much. I think one of the real successes of my family has been that the church people have always been so good and so kind to my family and to my children. In, in the three churches that I have pastored, my children have never been mistreated. Now they've always, you know, there's bumps and bruises that come and sometimes something will happen that's not fair. But I just would tell the boys, I'd say, well, did you ever get away with something that you should have gotten in trouble for? So now the score is a little evened up. So be good to their family. Uh, pray for them. Be faithful to church. Support the work of God. And then when you hear of, know of perhaps individual needs and situations, a card here, a card there, a comment here, a comment there, they can mean so much. Um, they can mean so much. But then, I'm just telling you, for a saint of God that is good, kind, caring, loving to other saints and especially to new converts that is so huge it's 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 almost everything so just do your best to be the greatest blessing possible to the greatest number of people who are some of the greatest men of god that you have have uh, 
ever personally known or who have passed away? Well, first and foremost at the top of that list is my pastor, the man that helped prayed me through, the man that baptized me in Jesus' name, the first formative years of my life, preached to me, teached to me, answered my questions, it was uh, Pastor Roy Moss. He is the first large looming figure in my life, and the role that he played is just, there's no words to express. I uh, can't even imagine. He was pastoring a home missions church at the time where I came in, and, and he was able to be full-time. He's very, very good with his finances. And so I was benefited by him being able to have time for me in those days, um, I guess, that I surely desperately needed. And um, so that was huge. Men like Brother Henry Ivey that I've already mentioned, there's an old statement that 10 minutes with a wise man is worth hours and hours of study. That one man's conversation with me that night about study affected me the rest of my life. Then there's others that have passed away that have meant so much to me. Brother David Gray, who wasn't but the last five years of his life I was able to really get close to. He meant a lot. Brother I.H. Terry from Bakersfield, California, that I was able to be close to for 20 years um, of my life. 25, actually, was huge. The role he played was very, very, very huge. These folks are still alive. Uh, brother and sister Wayne and sister Marilyn Chenault from Guthrie, Oklahoma. I don't even know if I'd be in church today if it wasn't for these people and their vast, God only knows, semi-truckloads of prayer that they have poured out for the cause of Larry Booker through the years and their counsel, insights, wisdom, words from the Lord at given moments that were huge. Uh, a man that I pastored for four years, Brother David Lee Floyd, received the Holy Ghost in 1910, got the revelation of the oneness of God in 1915. The same, uh, within the same week, he went to eight Elton Bible Conference, uh, helped Charlie Smith teach on the oneness of God. Uh, I could go on and on about him, the, the role he played in my life while I pastored the first church. And, and these are standouts in my life as I've been coming up through the years. Brother Booker, who are some of the greatest men of God you know who are alive today? Well, there's a host of them, and uh, I'm going to give you the what I consider the five most impacting. Uh, but then it's not fair because when I think of the unbelievable influence of Gary Howard... Floyd Odom, Johnny King, Kenny Godare, Steve Buxton, uh, David Smith, on and on and on. Just, But when I think of uh, Paul Price, the effect that man has had on me uh, for the last 30 years is incalculable. It's just, I, I, can't, I almost choke up even thinking about him. In his heyday, no equal, no equal anywhere to Paul Price as far as I'm concerned in insight, wisdom, etc. Then, of course, Vaughn Morton, the role he's played when I first came to California in these last 33 years is no way to describe um, and how important he's been and is to me. Um, Brother Nathaniel Wilson uh, challenges me. His, his mind, his intellect, his heart, his, his revelation of how desperately the anointing of God is needed. And 
And it doesn't matter what you know, what you have, what you possess, or what letters behind your name. If you don't have the anointing, you're basically toast. That revelation, coupled with all that he has, is mind-boggling. Then, Brother Joel Holmes, what he's done in North Little Rock, in the spirit that he's done it in, and the humility that he walks in, and the wisdom that he has, um, tremendous. And then, Brother Johnny Godare, uh, to know Johnny Godare is to stand amazed. The drive this man has, the passion that he has for the work of God, he gives himself so completely, unreservedly. His world is God, and that uh, wonderful, wonderful church there in Durham, and the preachers that he's helped, and the messages he's preached. Um, and I could go on and on, and I should go on and on, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate myself for names that I left out. And so, all of you who know that I love you and respect you, please forgive me. But, but these, these, these are folks that that stand out so readily in my mind. And my last question for you, Brother Booker, what are some of the greatest visitations of God that you have ever experienced? When I think of uh, some of the greatest visitations of God that I've ever experienced, actually several of them have been in prayer meetings where it's just been me and Him. On one occasion, I will say this, and some may question this, but it's true, so can't help it. But I was in a prayer meeting one time in the second church that I pastored at Roy Grandy, California. Late one night, I could take you to the spot where I was kneeling, and the presence of God began to come in. And then it came stronger, 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 until I literally was pretty taken aback with fear. And then I could feel him beginning to recede. He sensed my fear. And I stopped him. I said, please don't leave. Please don't. I'm, I'm, I'm overawed at your presence, but don't leave. And so I could feel him come back. And whether someone would like to believe this or not, it really did happen for about 30 minutes. Every question I asked him, he would give me the answer right then and there. I think that is one of the greatest experiences that I ever had. And the answers I received have helped change my life in a lot of ways. Um, and then other prayer meetings, but not to that degree. I'll never forget them. Uh, certain conferences, I remember in 1970, I want to say four, maybe five. I hadn't been in church all that long. I was beginning to preach. I was with my pastor at a Louisville General Conference, and while the preaching was going on, the Shekinah glory of God came into that auditorium. There was about 20,000 people there. I saw the blue haze. The, uh, the Shekinah glory of the blue haze came in, and this took place. When I would lift my hands, I would instantly begin weeping almost uncontrollably. When I'd lower my hands, I would stop and be, uh, forgive the term, sober as a judge. I'd lift my hands and begin weeping. I'd lower them. And I even got to checking it out, literally. I would put my hands up and just break out bawling. I'd lower my hands. And I could do that almost immediately. I never, 
experienced anything like that before or since, but it let me know in that one little object lesson power that God takes in our lifting up our hands to Him. It's big with God, lifting our hands and worshiping Him from our heart, whether that takes place or not. I learned that moment is very huge with God. No wonder Paul said, I would that all men everywhere lift up holy hands. And um, then church services that I've been in, conferences where I saw things take place. I was, and I remember one conference at PSR in Fresno, literally I saw this, where you had hundreds of ministers lying on the floor weeping, standing, hugging each other, weeping, people all over, prophesying one to another, receiving from God, giving one to another. And this went on for well over an hour, hour and a half. Some of the deepest moves of God that I've ever seen. Things like this, uh, you don't forget them very quickly. I would like to thank uh, Reverend Larry Booker for taking the time to be here on HDR Preacher's Corner. He is definitely one of the greatest preachers of my time that I've been in church. And we thank you for the time that you've taken with us. The famous glamour and glitter Thank you for joining us today. This has been the first episode of HGR Preacher's Corner with your host, Jeff Offer. We have many more surprise guests lined up for future episodes. You can download this and future episodes on our blog at www.holyghostradio.com slash blog. You can also subscribe to our podcast and receive this episode and other free content. We pray that you tune in next time. Till then, this is your host, Jeff Offer. God bless. There's hope in a new